The following program is intended for mature audiences. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Come On, Get Happy Hour. Welcome back, y'all. What's up, Sketch? What's up? How's everybody Talking doing? Talking to my homie up in Canada, my producer. The <laughs> brains behind the operation, the lovely Miss Judy Sketch Lewinson. What's That's up? That's me. I'm doing good. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm feeling good. It's 420, man. You know mm-hmm, what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do you guys celebrate that uh, 420 up there? I'm I'm almost going to say that maybe my part of the world, specifically Vancouver, created that. Because I do recall really? the very first protest being on the Art Step <laughs> Gallery of Vancouver Arts Gallery at 420. And now it's a, it's like a festival. And they gather on the beaches because it's all legal now in Canada. But, uh, Is it? Just those like first us, few, huh? Yeah, those first few years, I remember you would see signs up. Um, put up either by local law enforcement or hotels saying, you know, if you have any sort of allergies or asthma con- yeah. uh, conditions, uh, please be advised that on the fourth, the 20th day of the fourth month, uh, it'll be a little smokier than usual in the metro Vancouver area. There's going to be and a like, cloud. Hovering yeah. <laughs> it I've got allergies and actually I, I sound like I've been hanging out with uh, this guy right here again, Tommy Chong. Yes. What's up, Tommy Chong? <laughs> This is so cool. So this top picture was about five or six years ago. Okay. I tried to go uh, make an honest living there and cut my hair. But um, as you know, in the book, The Trans Am Diaries, I talk about my Uncle Ricky, who was only like seven years older than me, and his motto in life was blaze on. I love that. So phrase. 420 today would be a Tuesday. Yes. If this airs tomorrow to be a Wednesday. Wednesday. Every day is 420 to Uncle Ricky. Mm-hmm. But so growing up, and I've told this story many times, when he would babysit me and he was supposed to take me to Disney movies, he would take me to Cheech and Chong movies. <laughs> so years later, I ended up working with Tommy Chong on a project. And I said, Tommy, please do me a favor. Can you sign a headshot to my Uncle Ricky and say, Uncle Ricky, blaze on. And he did. And Uncle Ricky, he died a couple years ago, but the day he died, he had that headshot hanging in the living room of his trailer. And Tommy Chong said, blaze on. I love it. I love right, it. Right on, happy that's... 420. Yes, yes, indeed. So in, in, instead of smoking tonight, we, we do a little drinking thing. Mm-hmm. And I think the drinking word tonight should be talent because we got an amazing, two amazing guests that won awards, awards I didn't even hear of, like the Annie Award. I didn't even know what the hell that was. It's for <laughs> voiceover work. But anyway, last week, as you know, we did one of our top 10 lists that we do weekly, and it was movie quotes. And I knew that one was going to blow up because everybody has a favorite. Right. So the last time I checked, so many. 96 suggestions <laughs> all of them were from legit movies okay so we narrowed it down to 10 you know a very scientific 10 how i do mm-hmm. the research and <laughs> the polls of thousands of people i hang out at the malls you know i do all that yeah yep. <laughs> survey says <laughs> and my favorite always wins what are the chances but no I, I felt bad because there were so many good ones and i had like extra ones written down last week like Honorable mentions. And I'm like, no, I think we should do a, a part duh. Like I a love part it. two. Yes. But do you? Yes. I mean, you had a few good yeah, ones. There's a couple ones in there. Yeah. There's, there's so many. And that's the thing about it. You think about one or two, and then they just start flooding in. And then, like, after we finished, I was just like, oh, man, there's all these other ones for this whole other genre of music. Today, I thought films. of another one. I'm like, and I just said it to someone, yeah. not thinking about the list. I just said it. And I'm like, oh, sh- right. Right. Yeah, we're going to do it. Part part two tonight. All but right then. I'm first, I, I I stand corrected myself. Last week I said I think there was only one song I know of that became a hit song, 
that was taken from a movie quote, and that okay. was Miso Hani yeah. by the uh, the the lyrical poet uh, Two Live Crew. Uh, what was his name? Yeah, Luke. There. Luke, yeah, Luke. Uncle Luke. <laughs> Uncle Luke Skywalker. Yeah. Uh, but no, there was another one I thought of, and it was taken from The Searchers, John Wayne. I don't think you'll know this one from the fifties. And I'm reading an autobiography by Waylon Jennings, and I just learned this two nights ago. That'll be the day when you say goodbye, Buddy Holly. That'll be the day. That was a movie quote. He saw the searchers with John uh, with John Wayne uh -huh. and the Duke. There's this like whippersnapper. He's like 17, and the Duke kept you know pushing him around or whatever. And the guy's like, "When I get a little bit older, I'm going to whoop you." And he goes, "That'll be the day." And he staggered off. And Buddy Holly saw that and said, "What a cool, what a cool little cool little line. That'll wow. be the day." So, so there we go. That's More a good one. I have no idea. Music trivia. <laughs> My brain is filled with that. It's awesome. You know, if only there was a like, party we could have so you could just share it with everyone. Woo! Where's Wait a minute. Going? Here we are. Just getting started. Come on, get happy hour. All right, y'all. Let's knock out this week's part two of top ten movie quotes. And right. this is a good one from Home Alone. Take that, you filthy animal. Right. Remember that right. The gangster guy. Mm -hmm. Which, by the way, that wasn't even a real gangster movie. They just created that for. <laughs> Gonna need a bigger boat. Yep. Jaws. And again, these impressions are spot on. So I mean, uncanny. Scary. I know. I got chills. So if you're not getting them, that's on you because this is I'm nailing it. And you said this one last week. Mm -hmm. It wasn't in my top 10 because I already made the top 10. Right. So right. Bad. Say what again? Yeah. Yeah. It's all in the cadence, right? Say what again? Just say what again? Yeah. And I feel like that, I may have heard incarnations that. of that growing up. Oh, Samuel Jackson right there. He, he nails everything. Yeah. Too many mother on this boat. On this plane. Right? <laughs> All right, there's another one. Another one with some bad words in it. Yippee-yay-ki-o-i-a, whatever he says it. Right, mother. right. Die hard. Boom, die, die, hard. die hard. Come up and see me sometime. Mae West. Oh, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're taking it way back on that one. There's no crying in baseball. Oh, yes. The Penny Marshall one? Classic. No crying in baseball. Mm -hmm. And this one, between you and me, and I'm not sure anyone made it, but the guy is a friend of mine, and he's very influential in the entertainment business. So it made it to number four magically. Okay. Ain't life grand. Warren Beatty, Bonnie and Clyde. Oh, okay. See how it bumped up the, the, the numbers? I see, I see. You're Adrian! Oh, wow. How did we miss that one before? I know. We missed that last week. I can't believe it. Uh, but I like to tell the truth. And you know what? You can't handle the truth. The truth. <laughs> I am yeah. on yeah. fire tonight. Yeah. Last one. Can't believe we didn't do this one last week. Is this, is this on the same level of energy of you can't handle the truth? Oh, wait a minute. Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> Talking to me. You talking to me? Because it oh. looks like you're talking to me. Yeah. But All we right. did have De Niro on. A, we had De Niro for another line. Yeah, we should do a list of favorite De Niro lines. Did we have De Niro for another one? We, yeah, when the my line from before, it's from The Untouchables when he says, uh, you know, you have a fight, you have an all-outs fight fight, one guy left standing, and that's how you know who won. Ah, uh, so many good ones. So many So good many ones. damn good ones. All right, I'm feeling good. 420. 420 up in here. Exactly. Um, 
who do we got coming on tonight? Two amazing guests. Someone just texted me. I think it's one of our guests. He's in the waiting room. All right, we're going to knock this out. Real quick tonight, y'all, we got two award-winning guests. We are, I can't believe we, we nailed both of these this week. Uh, one guy I've been a fan of for a long time. Uh, a lot of mutual friends. I knew his body of work from uh, one of my favorite shows, Reno 911. And he's done so many. He's in a, a movie with uh, a friend of ours, Sketch, uh, mm. Jill Michelle Million called Witness Jimmy. Infection. But he's done like a million voiceovers. And I was just going crazy today looking at uh, Disney's Planes and uh, Bane from Batman, uh, Rocco's Modern Life on Netflix, a million of them. So he's got his own nice. little series now he started called How Did I Create That Voice? And he tells the story behind each animated character. So I can't wait to get to Mr. Carlo Alizraki. Please tell me I said that right. Carlo Alizraki. That I said? Yeah. Multi-talented guy. Another guy, two-time Grammy winner, 17 nominations. That's awesome. Thank you. That's awesome. I love it. I told it. him we had 14 million viewers in the sh- yeah. Luckily, he didn't check the numbers before. But uh, <laughs> we're going to talk about number one albums. We're going to talk about artists he's worked with, like Nancy Williams, Nancy Wilson, Jackson Brown, Stanley Clark, Etta James, and Mr. Woo Woo Woo, Mr. Luther Vandross. I got to tell a story about a Luther Vandross concert I went to. The ladies were like fainting. Woo. Oh, but, yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, Luther Vandross. <laughs> and he's got three books out, pulling the curtain back on the music business. And his name awesome. is Mr. Jeff Weber. So Jeff and I share a publisher, and that's how I snag Jeff. Awesome. Anyway, I'm ready to kick it. The drinking word tonight is talent. Talent. we got lots of talent on the show. So everybody, instead of 420 doing this, we doing this to the talent. You ready mm-hmm. to kick it, Sketch? I'm ready. You ready? I'm ready. Let's do this. Let's do it. As I said uh, just a couple minutes ago, this guy has done amazing movies, amazing work. I've been a, I've been a fan of his for a long time. We've got mutual friends, um, and and he's got a movie coming out called Witness Infection. We're going to talk about, but other things he's done like the Taco Bell dog and a million voiceovers, Bane from Batman, um, Disney's Planes movie. I mean, I was just on the way home today. I picked up my daughter and I was watching. Uh, a little series he's been doing, how he created each character and, and the voice mm-hmm. or the voice behind the character. And he's going to tell us all about that. Give it up for my man, Carlos Alazraki. Hey, hey, thank you. Thank you, Stevie. How you doing, buddy? I'm, I'm doing well. You know, obviously a big day. Uh, <laughs> not just because I got my second uh, Pfizer, but uh, doing well. Got family, kids. We're all healthy uh, and we're really thankful for that. And, and you know, working away with our, our mutual pal, Joe Michelle Melian on new things. And, uh, and we're, we're doing well out here in California and Burbank. So you're not feeling woozy. You're okay. I'm okay so far. Yeah. You know, I, uh, I, I yesterday I had some Peruvian friends over. So uh, the Argentinian and me uh, went to Whole Foods, got the grass fed, uh, top sirloin, slapped a couple of those things on. So I got my pro, I did that steak and eggs. I did that. That uh, crappy detective dinner, steak and eggs for lunch. Lots of protein, lots of Gatorade, some Tylenol. So far, so good. We'll see. It might sneak up on me tomorrow. But I will tell people out there, if you're ever going to get the Shingrix shot for shingles, I got that a year ago, January, and that second Shingrix shot, woo, it modernity me. It, it, uh, (laughs) It got me. It got me bad. 
But so I just we'll want see. to say, if you happen to pass out during the interview, it'd be great for ratings. So even if you could, <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> yeah, just start talking like this. Wow, man. It's feeling just really weird. I'm feeling kind of <laughs> off, brother. Well, buddy, I've known you a long time as a comedian and from the Laugh Factory and from Jill Michelle. Yeah. And uh, I always admire what you've done. And, and you know, Reno 911, I'm a huge fan of, of course. And Niecy Nash promised to get me on there, which she never did, by the way. Oh, but, man. I just love your your character Garcia on there. Yeah. Had other friends on there, Nick Swartzen. And I just want to ask you, how much of that can you guys improvise? Which is a big chunk of it, right? Yeah, quite a bit. We've done, we did new episodes for what was then Quibi, which will now, uh, I think, appear in, in other formats. I don't know if I can officially announce anything yet, but it, the new stuff that we did do uh, in the bubble recently, we'll find a new home, maybe under a longer format than the Quibi three-minute format. But he, always from the start one, from the very first day we did it with Beth McCarthy from Saturday Night Live, we were, it, it was 2001, and uh, we were a week ago, from, a week away from Fox just passing entirely on Ben, Tom, and Carrie. They passed on a sketch show. They told us, let's go home and think about... Uh, uh, some characters. We're gonna make. Sh we're gonna make fun of cops. Our show is called Reno 911. Go home and think about characters. And the very first thing we did in a warehouse in a little empty set was to have Ben play the mime and Cedric and I arrest him for impersonating a mime out in front of a plate. And we just made it up. <laughs> sir, I'm gonna have to ask you, sir, to stop doing that. And so th from there we would always just get the A, B, and C of a scene and then improv improvise the dialogue from there. We would have a beginning, middle, and end. We know something that was going to go wrong. If there were two kids on a roof that yeah. were going to try to jump their bicycles from one roof to the next, yeah. we had the stunt in place. The kid's yeah, yeah. going to jump off the roof, played by an adult, yeah. and then obviously perish. What happens dialogue-wise, we all make it up. <laughs> so that's how it worked. I interviewed Cedric once before, too. What a, yeah. a great cast, man. Um, yeah. So and you had, so you had the beginning, middle, you knew where you were going and you could play yeah. around a little bit. Yeah. And then for example, in that scene, this kid improvises the dialogue like, Hey, you cannot jump your bike. I, I bet you I can. Oh, you bet me you can't. Okay. Kenny Rogers. <laughs> How much money you got Jones? I got five. We got eight Washoe County dollars. But because he said that I yeah. said this, there's one great example of what led to a great character arc for Kyle Dunnigan. His original character was a character that he had done before and on stage, which he said, he stole my ice cream cone. These guys came by and they stole my ice cream. And so Wendy is arresting him and, and Weigel's in the scene. And he's like, well, I guess I'll just go home to my cats. Wendy hears it because she's an amazing improviser and says, oh, you know, well, Weigel loves cats. And then she bows out and Weigel and Kyle Dunnigan start talking <laughs> about cats. That leads to them being boyfriend and girlfriend. And so one-off episode, what would have been a one-off episode uh -huh. for Kyle Dunnigan, turns into the uh, the trucky serial killer and <laughs> like a 10-part arc for him. So yeah. just because of her ability to improvise an arc and put two and two together, you know? It just built that. It just built yeah. from there. Yeah. You know, I always tell people the, the original scene with Cedric and I in San Pedro, California, the very first pilot, which we refilmed for Comedy Central, we were filming all kinds of stuff out in San Pedro, all kinds of scenarios, right? And they stick Cedric and I in a car. They turn the cameras on in the trunk, the dash cams, and we drive off. And we're just we're just there to get B-roll stuff. Uh -huh. We really haven't really established who we are together. Uh -huh. We've done a couple of things. And Usher comes on the radio, and I just turn to him and go, do we have to listen to this 
music and he's like what but he goes with it and then then there is born born this relationship of you know a really sexy female getting african-american cop with a self-loathing mexican racist cop and that relationship is just born because we just riffed it and cedric goes with it and it led to eventually good cop black cop yeah, yeah. he's you know choking me and yeah yeah beat me up because i'm trying to equate yeah good black good cop bad cop good cop black cop it's the same thing it's not the same thing <laughs> it's good cop how come i how about i beat your skinny white ass cop so things Turn like that body just, cams. yeah yeah we we were able and you know especially during this time and obviously today's verdict which is good news for me um for a lot of folks but um you know now yeah. is how do you approach Cop, uh, you might have come to ask this question, but how do we approach, you know, the dialogue surrounding police and the culture surrounding differently than we did back then? It's obviously changed. And Ben, Tom and Carrie's answer was to hit it right on the head. Yeah. So, for example, in the first uh, rollout of Quibi episodes, Cedric is uh, we, we the department is looking to shoot a white guy. To balance the scales. So we've gotten a notice the Reno Sheriff's Department <laughs> have to find a white guy and shoot an innocent white, an unarmed white man. That becomes... Been shot at a couple of times for that exact reason. Yeah, exactly. So they tackled it right on, on the head. Obviously, it's changed, but our show is all about satire and, and showing that we're the fools. The comedy comes because we don't get it. And yeah. it allows us to explore those areas. And it's, it's kind of fun. It reminds me of the documentary American Pimp. Did you ever see that by the Hughes? No. You should watch it because they're interviewing pimps. And at first you could hear them off camera, but then they were like, didn't want to be judgmental. Like, let the guys set themselves up. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. And off, you couldn't hear them off camera. So the guy would be like, you know, they, they would make the pimps look bad on their own. They wouldn't have to step in and set them up. They would just be like, one day she's going to come up and say, you know, daddy, you ain't tough. You was a or something. And he's like, bitch, I'll kill you. But you know you ain't going to kill that bitch. But they didn't even have to say, hey, you, you shouldn't be saying you're going to kill a bitch. Like, they yeah. didn't have to say, have yeah. to say anything. Let yeah. It, their own it, grave. It, and it is a profile. You know, the things that we lampoon, cops have said, you know, we've seen that kind of stuff before. Or you don't know the stuff we've seen that's even more satirical than you yeah. have done in your show you know it gets stranger than that you know yeah, yeah. and so for us to go up and walk up on a clan guy that's like and i know him hey jimmy jam how's it going this isn't a cross <laughs> it's a t for tolerance you know that stuff has probably happened yeah, you know yeah. it's just it's, weird it's just bizarre i came from some sketchy situation i lived in uh i grew up in kentucky and lived in panama city beach florida so i was around a lot of cops i'm like I don't think that's legal what you what you're doing there. Uh, yeah. You know. Oh, uh, I I have two friends from uh, Kentucky. Earl Brown, who's the actor from Deadwood, he's my neighbor. Oh, good. And and Shane Taylor, who used to work for ESPN, he now runs Peerless uh, Distillery, great bourbon. But he told me he was with Mike Sharico. He was working ESPN, and he's driving through a state from Kentucky, and they just get pulled over for you you could guess why and he's like yeah. why are you questioning them and not me i'm driving the car you yeah. know that kind of stuff you know yeah yeah so uh yeah good but anyway good, i love trick. love reno 911 buddy yeah. i love that i love and like you i know you're done voiceover work but yeah i have kids and so i let them watch their thing and then it wasn't until i started digging in last night I'm like oh damn we need carlos for like two hours just to talk about yeah. each character and one, yeah. one question that popped in my mind today is, 
So when you go into audition for uh, a character, a voice, you're doing the voice, do you see what the character's gonna look like and try to mold your voice to fit what he looks like? Sometimes, yeah, we're lucky enough to get a, a uh, artist depiction or a, a picture so that it will help us or inform us as to how we're gonna approach a character. Other times it's just written. Um, I just uh, auditioned for something for Scooby-Doo, you know, and I just looked at the characters, lips were all pursed and whatever, and I just, I made a choice to do a really bad Owen Wilson, you know, my own, own Wilson's not very good. Yeah. But as Billy West said, a really crappy impression becomes an original character. Yeah, so yeah. I was just like, oh my gosh, welcome to our Emporium. It's so nice. Yeah. And it ends up being its own unique thing. Yeah. You, you just don't say that I'm really terrible at this impression. And other times, um, yeah, we'll get a picture and we'll be able to form it with Rocco behind me. You know, he had the big teethy smile yeah, and he had the yeah. long nose. And so I just went for it. And, and it was the right voice at the right time, you know. That's like Mike Myers said that uh, uh, Austin Powers, Mr. Evil is Lauren Michaels. Yes. Yeah. So he got one million. Yeah. One million dollars. Yeah, he said that was Lauren Michaels. Yeah. So that's, it's uh, interesting. Uh, Mr. Crocker, I've always said it. And if you want to get into the Instagram stuff that I do, Mr. Crocker was a blend of Richard Dreyfus, Gene Wilder, and Montgomery Bur Burns done by the great Harry Shearer. You know, yeah. excellent Smithers. Yeah. And <laughs> I don't like panties hanging on the rod. And said again. <laughs> and you mix it all together and because, hey, good pants. <laughs> so you just stir it all up in the cauldron and, and, and off you go. And with Crocker, I had a reference that, you know, the, the, uh, the ears on the neck and the glasses and the so yeah, the, yeah, the yeah. visual reference right there for me and working with Butch Hartman as well. And often, as I say in the Instagram things, when I say how I came up with the voice, it's more collaborative, you know? Yeah. Because you once in a while you, you get Just like it. comedians, we're influenced by something. We take a yeah. little bit, something we take a little bit here, we, we make it our own. Yep. As I was just telling uh, Sketch here, I was saying on the, I picked up my daughter today on the way home, I was watching your, um, how I created the voice that yeah. series you've been doing. Mm -hmm. And you, you were talking about the SpongeBob character. Yeah. Kids love SpongeBob. Yes. You know, so they're like, oh, I know that, I know that character. And you were saying it was taken from your friend years. There was a comedian, a little bit of surfer he did, and then something you had done. Yeah. I, uh, for, for SpongeBob, this character, Scooter's like, SpongeBob, you wrecked your pants. Ha <laughs> And there was a guy, Dave, that worked in my liquor store in Candlelight Liquors in 1981, right after high school. And Dave just had that, ah, that's so funny, dude. Ah. And then Mike Pace would do this character like, oh, what's up, bud? You got to smoke a little bit of this stuff. And so it was a blend of both those guys yeah. that I, you know, those are indelible sounds to me. And I, I, I actually wrote Mike Pace on Facebook and I go, Mike, I finally gave you credit in public for nice sort of borrowing that voice from you. And Mike is a fantastic comedian, a really great guy as well. And so, yeah, we borrow from things we, you know, when I grew up, my best friend Spanish were from Glasgow, Scotland, and I played Duggard on Dragon's Rescue Riders and Monroe and Juniper Lee a long time ago. And I watched Rabsy Nesbitt, which stars Gregor Fisher, who's the manager in Love Actually. And you, you sort of to borrow dialects and throw it all together. And you're able to just pull from references, you know, obviously, Maurice LaMarche is famously Orson Welles yeah. as the brain. Yeah. Paulson doing, I, I think, a version of somebody he, he was influenced by. For Pinky, oh no, here we go again. <laughs> so we're all able to just draw from, like comics. We, we meet characters. It's like, if you're doing a bit about going into a liquor store and there's a guy going, I'm going to pay 
I ain't going to pay for it. I, you just can't make me. You're going to see that as a comic and go, oh, okay, yeah. I have to do that. This guy, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah, so, yes, my uncle, my uncle Ricky, I said, today is 420, and I've done him since the day when I did comedy, and his motto in life is, blaze on, man, hell, blaze on. Yeah. Like, uncle Ricky, shouldn't you get a job? Hell no, man, it's cool, goddamn blaze on. You yeah. know, hell, man, I'm messed up, you better drive. I'm like, dude, I'm seven. He's like, you're good, man. And so, <laughs> you're good. But everybody knows who that is. And yeah. he likes it. He's like complimented, you know? But yeah. I'm wa I'm watching your fellow Kentuckians and another Georgian, Corey, uh, Corey Butterman, uh, Forrester. And uh, he's doing really well on Twitter and stuff. And, and uh, Trey Crowder, you know? Uh -huh. You know, Trey's obviously very well... He's very well educated, but he he really kind of dialed it up for that sexually liberal yeah, thing. You, you a friend of mine, Henry Chuck... Yeah, Henry Cho from Knoxville, Tennessee. Oh, yeah. I did a character for direct auto insurance called JJ Hightail. Uh-huh. And it, interesting, they're based out of Nashville. But when I audition, is like, I'm JJ Hightail, direct auto insurance. You can get your thing at a lower price, blah, blah, blah. And Henry goes, hey, man, somebody says you're doing me. And I go, yeah, I'm pretty much copying <laughs> hey, you, Henry. That sounds and, uh, just like Henry. Hey, man. Yeah, hey, man. Hey, Carlos Henry, call me. Call me later. All right. Talk to you later. All right. <laughs> Carlos Henry. Yeah. Like you would never guess who it was if he didn't tell you. Pardon me? <laughs> like you would never guess who that was. If you didn't, if yeah, you yeah. didn't know. And yeah, you, you know, like most voiceover actors or comics, we're sort of, I think we tend to be more neutral because we're always watching other characters, you know, that are like, like your uncle, as you say, they're just, there's something about them that they're, they're more than just neutral. They're beyond neutral. And so you, you soak it up. And my parents are from Argentina. And now I'm speaking more Spanish with my mom as I'm learning more. Uh, and I've got a good ear for it. My dad was British educated. I watched Monty Python. My best friend's parents were from Scotland, like I said. So right away as a young kid, I'm getting all these sounds and and facial expressions, which were different. You know, John used to, <laughs> that upper lip never moved. Carlos. And my mom saying, Carlitos, no me digas you know, how Spanish sounds, how people's faces move. And as a kid, you're just a computer and you're soaking it all up. Yeah, yeah. And so that informs us later on in life. If we want to do comedy or characters, we've, we've already done it. We've already yeah, yeah. done it. It's in your DNA. Yeah. You, you absorbed all of that. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about this witness infection with our friend, yeah. Jill Michelle Millian. Yeah. Jill, who I met at the Latino Laugh Festival many years ago. And then we ended up touring when I did the Taco Bell dog and she played my sister on Reno 911, Garcia's sister, where they think we're getting married, but I'm actually trying to set up her wedding and they end up scaring off her boyfriend and ruin her life. Um, but we collaborated in 2018. I just had this idea, this sort of shell about, what about mobsters and what about zombies and putting them together? Because we love Shaun of the Dead, we love The Sopranos, I love The Godfather, you know, uh, Bronx Tale. And she said, yeah. And then we just gelled right away we got all the characters, we wrote a script, and within about three months, we had a table read in August, people really loved it. There was a search for financing, which offered really no autonomy. If you go with somebody that invests in your film, they're gonna have more influence. I said, you know what? I really want this to be the film we wrote because yeah. people really like the script. So my wife and I are gonna finance this. We're gonna get Andy Palmer, who directed Camp Colebrook, Find Me, Funhouse Massacre. I had worked with him before. He's an editor, we know it's gonna be a small budget, 15-day shoot. We need a director that knows how to direct this. She finds Brett Ernst from Cobra Kai, great comic. Uh, Monique Coleman, we were going to have Deborah Wilson, but she had a scheduling conflict. 
I, I knew Vince Don Vito, who plays Vince, Rob Belushi, serendipitous that I had taken a class of his for commercial acting and said, listen, I can't play the lead. I need somebody to play my son. Great. Rob Belushi, Tim Stoltenberg, who's in the movie at the end, Tara Strong and Maurice LaMarche, Gary Anthony Williams. We just start casting all our friends with our phones. Yeah. And we wrote the script and we did it and we shot it and it's getting pretty good reviews. It's on video on demand, but you know, it was something that if you have the, the uh, lucky fortune to be able to afford to uh, finance something like this, you go for it, you do it. Yeah. And I don't know if I'll ever make my money back. Knock on wood, I might, you know, but if not, it's, it's a labor of love. I loved it. We made something. We'll always have it. I'm proud of it. And uh, it's fun. It's zombies and gore. And I don't know if you've seen the trailer and I had a chance to see it yet, but it's a lot of I fun. Have. And I'm friends with Brett. I try to get you and Brett and Joe Michelle on the same uh, same episode here, but we'll just spread it out and you'll get even more yeah. publicity. Yeah, Brett's fantastic. And he Bye really, he was, he had flown to do maybe, I think, some stuff for the troops. 22 hours from Dubai, he flew to Vegas to shoot another show, slept three hours and drove to our set and just was incredible. You know, he, nice. just, his work ethic was so good. And, and you know, come on, Brett is dominant. He's, yeah. he's dominant. <laughs> and so all I'm doing when I'm playing Mr. Sorelli is I'm doing my best version of Brett and my friend Vince Domvito, who was <laughs> from the Bronx. You know, and his mom, Amalia, Vince's mom, saw the film. I go, how'd I do, Miss, uh, Mrs. Dun and she goes, you did all right. You did all right. You know, my wife's Jersey Italian, and yeah. so I can do it. You know, Dominic, you're flowing up in my ficus bushes, for God's <laughs> sakes. Come on. You're, you're all still not here. So, yeah, we just had some really, a really great cast, and Jill nailed it. Jill, Vince, and Rob in that movie are Harry Potter, Ron Weasley, and uh, Hermione, and they just go through this adventure together, and they they hold that movie together. It's it's kind of wonderful. I love it. Uh, your kids are so lucky, buddy. How old How old are your kids? My daughters are. Riley is uh, nine, going on ten in less yeah. than a month, about eighteen days or something like twenty days, and my other one is seven, and they're doing quite well. They're healthy. They got great friends. They're playing softball, doing it all. They're doing some acting. Riley's a a part of a big Nickelodeon NDA series. When when it goes, I'll have her come on your show. It's it's gonna be a pretty big show. And Austin just, I, I'm not, and I'm not an actor, Dad. But my Austin just booked this uh, little project with Will Ferrell and Paul Rudd. Wow, so, little, yeah, what's yeah, it's a uh, who knows how how much it'll be. But she doesn't care. My yeah. older ones are really into it, and the the younger one could really care less. She's seven, but. They're good. They, I, I've read to them. My, my youngest daughter loves Dogman. She loves uh, Dogman, Captain Underpants, all that yeah, stuff. Yeah. So that's our ritual, you know. They love my kids. Love that. Isn't it fun? Yeah. They're ten and twelve, and just just love Captain Underpants and. Yeah, Nat Faxon actually Captain Underpants. Nat Faxon was the milkshake guy in Reno. Oh, okay, yeah. I didn't know that. All right. And he won an Oscar with Jim Rash. Jim's like, you don't know me. You don't know me. They won an Oscar for. <laughs> The Descendants or Descendants, the one with uh, Matthew Lillard and George Clooney about the movie in Hawaii. They won an Oscar for Best Screenplay. So, not, not um, yeah, movie. kids are great. We're lucky, you know. And, yeah, we do goofy voices. And I think that's why they got into doing voiceover acting and acting is because I didn't push them like, you need to be an actor. It's just yeah. like around the house, you know, we're more goofy. Mom's goofy. And, and I think they just soak it up. Yeah, yeah, they soak yeah. it up. And they can be themselves and be silly. Yeah. I, I was thinking you're like a human speaking spell for the kids. You just, yeah. you did which character do you want? You should have a little character on each one. And 
But I have to tell you, they're more impressed with my street cred. Like, they love Ricky, Nicky, Dicky, and Dong. And like, you know the dad? Oh, yeah, yeah, that's Brian Stepanek. I know him. Can you get his number? Can you have him yeah. do a video? <laughs> Another one of my friends is Nacho Sedicchio, who plays Dan Wells on Lost in Space. Can you get him to say something? You know oh, Tara Strong, know. and you know uh, Scott Menville, and you know Greg Sipes. And, you know, they, they love Teen Titans. And, um, you know, Kari Payton is a, is a father at our school. And oh, so Kari, good. of course, is Walking Dead, and, but they know him more from Cyborg. Yeah. So they think dad's cool. They don't necessarily love my voice work. They love who I know in the voiceover yeah, yeah. world. They're like, okay, he's not just a nerdy dad. He's, he's got some street cred there. He knows they, some it, cool people. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I love it, buddy. All right, real quick before I let you go, tell me one hell yeah moment where you're like, okay, when I was uh, practicing my uncle's voice or whatever, instead of studying, I did, I did this and something came to fruition fruition and you're like that made me feel good that was a hell yeah moment oh god i'm gonna say today's verdict because it's right there okay. um but for, for personally you mean personally artistically yeah, for your, career, your career i and it was this was i did the pilot for rocco's modern life i was on the road as a comedian which as you know could be tough for me comedy was always a means to an end so when yeah. i was on the road it didn't feed my soul it was, yeah. it was pretty lonely and you got to be the right person for it. So I'm at the last laugh. I'm on a payphone back in the day in the 90s in Seattle. It's cold. It's muggy. I kind of want to get home. And I get the call from my agent that Rocco's Modern Life is going to series. And I put the receiver down. I went, yes! Thank you. Hell, that yes. was a hell yeah moment. <laughs> Take me Rocco, home. Because <laughs> it was going to pull me into voiceover work and off the road as a comic. Awesome. And so for me, for my soul, that was a... A hell yeah moment. Okay, sure. awesome, buddy. All right, tell everybody where they can find you. They can find me on Twitter at Carlos Salas Rocky, on my Instagram if you'd like to see the how I came up with the voice. And I also yeah. post little snippets of that on, on TikTok. And uh, there's a carlosalasrocky.com as well. And you can also go to witnessinfection.com to find out where you can see our movie for $3.99. Very cool. Thank you, Carlos, for stopping by, dude. That was so much entertainment packed into 15, 20 minutes there. And I feel like with your career, I didn't even do you justice. I want to mention Bane and, you know, the Taco Bell dog and so many other stories. But let's get let's get back to that and get you and Jim Michelle on the same one. But Absolutely. thank you so much, buddy. And I'm glad you feel good. Thank you. If you can just pass out now, we'll 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 <laughs> It'd make great television. Uh flatline. Thank you, brother. Thank you. What a blast. Good seeing you, buddy. You too. Add us. Add us to your favorite. Add us to your favorite. Add us to your favorite. And keep your browser locked. Keep your browser locked. Hello, beautiful people. This is Judy Liu, executive producer at Van Grio. I just want to thank you for taking the time to listen to Come On, Get Happy Hour with Stevie D. You could be listening to anyone right now and... We're so appreciative that you've chosen to spend a little time with us. Your continued support means everything to us. Please continue to like and share our podcast with your friends, family, and coworkers. Tell a stranger on the street. We really do appreciate it. Be sure to follow at Vangrio on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Also, follow Stevie D and his so-called friends on Facebook. There you will see the videos of our episodes. At Vangrio, we rely on the continued support of our amazing listeners like you to be able to produce our content. If you wish to make a donation or shop our merch, please visit Vangrio.com. That's V-A-N-G-R-I-O-T.com. Thanks so much for listening. And now, back to the show.
<laughs> All right, y'all. That was Carlos Alazoraki. Like I said, that just rolled that. You know, like a, that didn't sound like a hillbilly from Kentucky. That sounded like us from Argentina, right? All right, Carlos Alazoraki. So glad to have him. How about that talent? So our next guest didn't hear that the drinking word tonight is uh, talent, but this is uh, just this Kool-Aid. That's all it is. This is the end. All right. <laughs> see him. All right. We're so blessed to have so much talent on one show. Carlos has won awards. This next guy's won, you know, two Grammy awards, nominated for 17 awards, worked for a couple little artists you may have heard of, like Nancy Wilson, Jackson Brown, Stanley Clark. It goes on and on and on. Jackson Brown, Luther Van Dross, the panty dropper. We'll talk about that story when I went to a Luther Van Dross concert. A few ladies passed out. I was one of them. Hey, no, I'm just kidding. All right, everybody, give it up for my next guest. He's got three hit books. We have the same publisher. We're going to talk about how he pulls the curtain back on the music business. Give it up, Mr. Jeff Weber. Thank you, Stevie. I'm glad to be here. What's up, buddy? Hey, man. Just trying to, just trying to perfect my... Oh, look at that. <laughs> How many channels is that mixer? As many as you want. Shit, look at that. Uh, <laughs> wow. And you know what? All we needed was two. Really? Yeah, yeah, we recorded the record live to two tracks. Did you really? What do you think about when they're now taking like the masters and then remixing and reissuing? Is, is that cheating or you approve of that? <laughs> Any way you can get your music to the public so that they can pay attention, whether it's today, tomorrow, or 90 days, I think it's great. My personal opinion is if I release a product or one of my clients releases a record, 90 days later, I'm encouraging to re-release the record as if it were a new product because to the majority of the people listening, it will be. Yeah. As I've told you, I, I just absorb, I just love, I can't get enough of like music, rock documentaries, solo right. documentaries, uh, autobiographies. I'm reading uh, Waylon Jennings right now and the top of the list, I don't know if you heard top of the show, we had a top 10 list of best movie quotes. And it was it was such a, uh, it went so well last week, I did a part two this week. And last week I, I could only think of one movie quote that was turned into a song. And then a couple of nights ago, I was reading the Waylon Jennings book and he of course was in Buddy Holly's band. And the day the music died, he was supposed to be on the plane and he said, that'll be the day came from John Wayne movie, The Searchers. Wow. Did not know that. Yeah. That's so I was like, I can't wait to share this kind of information with people, whether they care or not. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> those type of quotes are really interesting. In my book, I have one quote that I wished I'd put in, and I think I might have mentioned it to you in the past. It's the quote is this, your music is much better than it sounds. <laughs> and you have to think, wait, what? <laughs> but what's more interesting, believe it or not, is that Mark Twain was the guy that said that. Really? About, about Wagner. Now I understand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so have you gotten any backlash? So you've written three books and they all deal with, correct me if I'm wrong, if what, what, like the first one's called, You've Got to Deal, Biggest Lies of the Music Business. And so you kind of pull back the curtain on these lies in the music business and, and, and show people what they're really in store for, and hopefully they can avoid some of these pitfalls. I do. I, I think that now I'm at the age where I can finally tell the truth without fear of any major label reprisals. What are they going to do? Take my birthday away? You know what I mean? Uh, and people have asked, well, aren't you worried that the majors are going to be angry at you? 
And my feeling is, why would they start now? They've never reached out to me before. So <laughs> I'm a non-entity. The whole point of this thing is to provide a little bit of humor, but there's always truth and tragedy in every joke. And if you can just kind of like drift down below the surface, I think that uh, you'll really you'll really enjoy it. I always say the same thing. If you want to get the full benefit of my books, just keep them near the restroom, because you know that's where that's where business happens. And uh, uh, it, it's it it really is a way of expressing fun and uh, unique approaches to music. Because as you know, all musicians are very emotional, very affectionate, very loving, and very mean. Yeah. So uh, it's uh, it's always a pleasure when you can you know collect some of these things and uh every, everyone knows that they're all you know i mean it's 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 just the nature of our business you know the one of the biggest lies that uh record companies can say is for example hey we've got two tickets for you at will call you ever gone up to the will call and they, they act like you're from mars yeah, like, yeah hey you know hey this is jeff weber i got two tickets yeah. oh really really since when you know, it's like, wait, wait, here's the email that said, now, hit the road, Jack. So <laughs> how much synergy has to be involved if you're producing somebody and they come in with an idea and, and to be on the same page, they have to have a certain amount of trust in you and respect what you've done in order to take your suggestions, right? Right, but they also have to understand that my my approach is to make them the best version of themselves, mm. not to cater to trends, not to cater to publicity, not to cater to radio, because at the end of the day, they've only had experience being themselves. They have to succeed or fail based on their own abilities, not what uh, publicity or record companies want them to be or look like. Or So what we do is we prepare very heavily in front. And then at the end of the day, at the end of the sentence is that's the time that we go in the studio to capture a performance rather than manufacture one. Gotcha. So 17 top 10 albums, okay. is that correct? Two number one albums, which were? Uh, well, I don't remember exactly what they were. I'm still trying to remember the 17 or at least, <laughs> you know, I have to, believe it or not, this is so true. I'm sorry, but I, I've done so many things in terms of music. I actually have to call somebody and ask them, so, you know, hey, you know, I, I know we work with Luther, but how did that go? You know what I mean? What, what project was that? On? Yeah. You know what I mean? And and so I'm not trying to be evasive or anything or, or, or weird. I, I, I just, uh, you know, I just can't remember. And yeah. uh, it, 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 at the end of the day, those type of things, believe it or not, are talking points, nothing more. You've done hundreds, I mean, hundreds of albums. I was just telling right. uh, Sketch, my producer, before we aired tonight that I, I saw Luther in concert, must have been 87. And I loved Luther and I loved R&B and I was a DJ. And so I went and I was uh, out of, some Tallahassee, Florida, probably out of, 16, 17,000 people. That's probably one of three white guys. And, uh, <laughs> and, the, and I love it. And you feeling. just go by the microphone and go, Ooh, and women, oh, Lord. And then a lot of women, a lot of hats, a lot of hats I couldn't see. Trying to look over the hat. <laughs> I'll tell you something about Luther. Uh, yeah, he's got the swooners and the, but that man 
was a musical genius. I mean, he was, yeah. uh, he was just so incredibly inside the music that on the record that we did, he actually insisted on creating the background vocal arrangements and being in the background vocal section for the artists that I was producing. So, uh, it, and just to hear the nuance and the emotional impact that he created you just you couldn't be a record producer anymore you just had to sit there and be a fan be in awe and just realize that hey there's no amount of trying is going to make any singer as good as luther yeah you, you know what i mean it's just one of those things that you just sit there and you just go wow you know i mean and that's what makes music so amazing to so many people it's the wow factor and uh, I, you know he, he also was going through his own kind of battles uh, at the time he was he was fluctuating his weight, weight was fluctuating mm. he, was, he was a very private person i remember somebody asked him if uh, on the session if they could have his phone number and he said yeah no problem 411. <laughs> <laughs> he was I mean, private i had a couple of mutual friends and i just watched the documentary as i always do about of now rogers of chic oh and luther was advising him like what how to do the backup vocals and uh you know sister sledge and all those tracks that luther worked on he was a background singer you know before he, he actually did commercials he was a yeah. singer in commercials in chicago uh along with another really terrible singer patty austin uh yeah <laughs> another genius uh but you know they came from uh, they came from that world and it, it, you just have to sit there and, and basically this leads to something else when i hire musicians to appear on records the worst thing i can do is to have them play the chart mm -hmm. because i'm hiring them to be themselves yeah why would i say just play the ink Mm -hmm. So basically, I, and this happens on every session, I bring the charts and I say, please don't play this. This is green light and this is red light. Everything yeah. in between, you go for it and yeah. don't ask permission because who benefits? The artist, Yeah. right? And then the musician isn't necessarily just like a hired hand. He's emotionally invested mm -hmm. and he wants to see uh, the best of him on or her on that record because we've allowed him the creative flexibility to get inside and yeah. do it it's fantastic have you been to the country music museum in nashville not yet and not yet I, I i love going to nashville to make records they've got some fantastic musicians there and uh, really great studios there too so i'm, yeah. I'm always excited when i can <laughs> i can go to uh, uh and, and believe it or not there are the musicians there are extremely generous you know and and i had a scenario where i i asked a musician <clears throat> if he would uh if he would do four songs for seventeen hundred dollars and his response was i don't get out of bed for seventeen hundred dollars <laughs> i go okay so how about two songs so we agreed he and then he did everything he did all the songs that we asked him to the songs that we didn't ask him to he stayed around making sure everything was great uh and from what i understood in nashville it's not customary to walk up to a musician and say here's the chart please be yourself mm -hmm. if you hear of anything please don't ask just do they know they don't do that they're shuttled out of the studio yeah. the producers make up their minds they're brought in and they're you know it's like oh my gosh you realize what you're giving up 
and then so, they get locked into a sound and then it becomes right. cookie cutter. That's what Waylon was talking about. But in the Hall of, uh, Country Music Hall of Fame in Nashville, they have a whole section of all these booths. These a booth? stand-up booth, and you, you put on the headphones, and each one is a different Charlie Daniels or whatever, and it'll be 10 hmm. songs that you're very familiar with, you know, number one songs that Charlie played on that you had no idea. And there'd be a, you know, the next artist or, you know, Vince Absolutely. Gill or Chet Atkins, whoever it would be. You just put on the headphones. It was all these songs. It was like the Swampers, Muscle Shows or something. So oh, many no, those, songs. Those guys are so great. Glenn Campbell was a session musician, Glenn. you know, and all of those people are fantastic musicians. I mean, you know, Les Paul invented stereo. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's like so many things that are so fascinating about the music world that you and I inhabit. I love it. And I was uh, last night reminded me of your books. Uh, Waylon was saying he showed up at the Country Music Awards and and he was one that stepped outside of that cookie cutter. You know, he was a rebel. Uh, they coined the, the, you know, the term outlaw country outlaws after him and Willie because they didn't want to sound like everybody else. They wanted to do their own thing. So, you know, he was kind of an outsider. But when he married Jesse Coulter and she had a number one hit with I'm Not Lisa, and they went to the awards. And as soon as they walked in, and this is what made me think of you, the producer whispered in his ear, oh, uh, Jesse didn't win, but you won, you know, Entertainer of the Year. They just walked in the door. Then they had to sit there and act surprised. And he's like, do I tell Jesse? And it was like what you were saying, how all this stuff is, is rigged. And, it, you know. Yeah, unfortunately, it, it, it is. And uh that that's part of what I try to do is just to educate to make the playing field level. I mean, if if people knew, for example, that the the winners of the of the voice is selected in the first episode, if people knew that the phrase America has voted is a complete one hundred percent lie, you know, things like this, like we've talked about before. Yeah, it, 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 I don't want to go too fast over that. The winner of the voice is determined yes. the first episode. That's right. And the only reason that I know that is because I have artists that I've produced that have been on the, the, that sh and they're the ones that told me, yeah. you know, so this isn't me just, you know, reading some nonsense. This is like, oh, yeah, no, that we knew, we knew. And I was relieved because I told uh, my artist, you know, the only thing that you can't do is win. You know, that would be the most horrible thing for your career. And uh, it, and and. Unfortunately, a lot of young talent go on these shows or try to get on these shows because they're convinced that the exposure will enhance their career. They don't really know that there's another agenda that's happening right under their feet and it has nothing to do with them. Mm -hmm. And uh, if so, so my role in, in, in doing these seminars that I do is just to basically say two things that please understand and don't be angry. You can't be angry at the shows for you know trying to rip you off to you by the way if you hum a song while you're on the property the physical property of the voice you don't own it they do Oof. songland SNL. you know you do a character and they they own the character they own it. on yeah. that show songland on N uh, nbc uh three great or you know, actually pretty pretty decent songwriter producers plus an act that's going to record one of four songwriter songs. So the four songwriters sing in front of those three producers and that and then one is one of the songs the songwriters are kind of eliminated just not because of the song being bad, but maybe it's not the right genre or this or that. And then each of these uh, song 
songwriters are paired up with one of these songwriter producers and they're really good and then at the end the winner is selected and the act records the song in order for the songwriter to win he has to sign a, an agreement waiving all income that the song would generate Jeez. in perpetuity wow. for winning now That's i don't know how what the definition of winning is but that ain't it however it gets better or worse because then the act records or performs the song records the song comes out and the, the songwriter's name is listed, even though he's never going to receive a penny. But every single one of those producers is listed, and the acts are listed as co-writers, and they all share in the income yeah. that the songwriter. Oh, My cool. question is, why would people do that? Yeah. And they say, well, we, for the exposure. Well, what exposure might that be? Yeah. You're on TV for, you know, 11 minutes. Yeah. It's similar to the, the, the you know, the, the comedy competitions. I had a buddy of mine that won one season of this particular show. And uh, he came on the show and he was telling me after he won, he won like 100 grand. But then he took home like 19,000 or whatever it was, you know, and to pay everybody. And then they had him under contract for, I think it was two years. He couldn't work for another network. Couldn't do anything. He was like in purgatory. And then they, it was in his contract, he had to come back the next season oh, and yeah. compete again. He's like, I've already won. Why would I come back? And they're like, because it says in your contract, you're going to come back. Well, on this same show, I was on a, um, a, a spinoff. They did a Honda commercial. And each week during the commercial of the show, they would run a Honda commercial. And it was like a competition of us comics each week during each episode. And this week, so one week it featured me. And I would right. be hitchhiking. They would pick me up in a Honda Pilot. And it was so big, I can do a stand-up comedy routine in there. And so we all filmed all of us comics on the same day, 13, 13 episodes, whatever it was. So they would take us each out for maybe, I don't know, 40, 45 minutes. We'd cruise around downtown L.A. on a Sunday. Everybody got the same amount of time. And then this one particular comic, she went out. And she must have been gone two and a half hours. And her manager uh -huh. was the producer of the show. And we all said, God damn it, she won. And guess who won? Ding, 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 ding. Yeah. What a surprise. And there was a walkout with, uh, I think, Roseanne Barr. I forgot who else was a judge. A couple of, all three of the judges ended up walking out on a finale because it wasn't who they voted for that, that won. But anyway, it's all, you know. The way, I, the way I look at it, though, is, and this is what I tell the people who want to be on those competition television shows, here's what's really happening. The, uh, the, the, every show is a business, and a business has a business model, and obviously the business model is designed to generate revenue. It has nothing to do with the contestants. So basically the object is for the show to show the, um, the network that you've increased your analytics. You've increased your engagements. So, for example, The Voice, you can vote 10 times every mm -hmm. time you put in your email address, nbc.com slash The Voice, enter your email address. You've got 10 votes. You can vote for one contestant 10 times, or you can spread it around yeah. like Christmas cheer. Okay. So, uh, again, my, I have a client on that show. He had a friend in Brazil. He decided, wait a minute, what if I put in another email address? Maybe my work email address? Show enough. 
Ten more Ten votes. votes. He wow. put in every single email address in his address book. Took him almost two days. He voted 23,000 times. 23,000 times. Now, if I happen to know that, and it hasn't been shut down, and you know that, uh-huh. and everyone else knows that, what's going on? Very simply, the, at the end of the season, the show goes to the network and says, hey, man, let's check out the analytics. Wow, do you see that? That's an increase in engagements, man. Yeah. Hey, man, we're charging you more for the show next season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, the network goes to the advertisers and says, hey, man, let's check out the Whoa, look at the analytics of that show, man. Look at those eyeballs. Man, can you believe it? Hey, man, a 30-second spot is going to cost you 25% more next year. Yeah. And that's the agenda. It's always been the agenda. Yeah, and, of course, yeah. the consumer ends up paying for it because the price of the products go up. So that's really what's happening and has nothing to do with the contestants. They're recyclable at a moment's notice. Oh, wait, you know, every, every, whatever it is, you know, they're gone. Yeah. We're hard pressed to remember any of those people. The business of the show, the business, it's called show business, kids. I know how to, I always knew how to show off. I didn't know about the business until I learned the hard way. I'm still (laughs) learning, but you got three books. On uh, headline books, we, we share a publisher. Yes, my my latest book is called You Sound Amazing, Every Single Lie of the Music Business. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I highly recommend these books. You may shatter a couple of dreams, but you're going to spare people a lot, of, a lot of heartache. And it's really fun stuff, too. I mean, there's a lot of wonderful things and silly things and uh, true things and cartoons and drawings and lists and... You know, you know, what's I, I was on another, I guess I was being interviewed by, by somebody else. And then she said, well, what's the biggest lie, you, you know, um, you've ever told? And I said, OK, here it is. That's amazing. You wrote that. Oh, my gosh. Was that was that you on someone TV? <laughs> but, it, you know, I mean, it, the problem is, is that it's very hard to be negative when people's dreams are on paper or they're seeing their guts out and their heart yeah. out. The one thing you don't want to do is say, hey, listen, can we just talk about, you know what I mean? Plan B. Oh, plan B, yeah. <laughs> right. So, so there's all, and whenever I discuss uh, someone, I always find something positive because there is always something positive yeah. to talk about when you're evaluating material. And we start there and we don't use the word bad or anything. We, we use words that are encouraging, like, hey, you might consider, you know, developing the melody, uh, the chorus melody line a little yeah. bit more. So it's something that is in more in your favor, you know. So there's less defensive and think that even, and I tell people this all the time, my job is to tell people how bad they are by telling them how good they are. Mm-hmm. And and you want, I mean, you know, you've been in the studio before. Imagine if you did a track and it was terrible. You knew it was terrible. And what is the producer going to say to make you forget about how bad you were and basically yeah. allow you to do another take where you're so energized, you feel so amazing, you're so inside the emotional impact of the song that you now deliver something that perhaps is above and beyond your own expectations. Yeah, That's the role of a true producer. Yeah, I just read Ted Templeton's book also. And he was saying, oh, he's a great guy too. He loved Van Halen, but he, he he wasn't a fan of David Lee Roth's vocal abilities until he got to know David a little more and his sense of humor and said he was one of the most brilliant men you've ever met. So he really had to put in the work to find 
things that David could do and his correct his skill set and his strength. It's exactly right, Steve. You want to put you want to, I want to put my artist in a position to be successful, to, in a position to be visible. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we're we're manipulating dreams here. And I don't know of a higher calling than helping someone's dream come true. And uh, I think it's just the way you approach it, what you, uh, you know, how you say things that can, that can really, really help. Mm -hmm. you know? All right, buddy, we're going to, we're going to do some book stuff together again. And Absolutely. I loved your idea when we talked on the phone of let's do like a, 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 a night of book signing where it's all just like music and comedy and just, Absolutely. And you so, said it's one book minimum. You got to, you come, you got to, got to buy well, at least one book. I said, yeah, the, the, it's free to enter, but there is an exit fee. <laughs> you got to buy somebody's book. And by the way, besides you and me at this kind of, uh, this, this kind of book signing extravaganza, which I want to have at, at the end of this year at the, upstairs at the village, if I can convince them to do it, which I think I can, uh, Lee Sklar. You know the bass player Lee Squar? Of course, yeah. He has, he has an amazing, and if you know Lee Squar, you know you have to flip him off and then you're kind of in the cool. crowd, right? <laughs> so his book is 6,000 pictures of people flipping him off. Oh, I love it. It's fantastic. <laughs> and it's called, really? yeah, right. It's called Everybody <laughs> Loves Me. And, right. uh, you know, there's Steve Lukather, whose book, um, uh, any, the gospel according to luke you know uh it, it's it's amazing Who's Steve Lukather, did you say yeah steve Lukather from Toto. yeah yeah i talk yeah, about so. him in uh trans am diaries also yeah so he's uh uh he's agreed to from come Toto kenny, and yeah kenny aronoff the drummer you know uh um, camp and uh, right uh, liberty okay. devito uh the um Robin Flans, who wrote the great uh, autobi uh, the great biography of Jeff Picaro, right. uh, Grant Geisman, who surprisingly yeah. enough is an expert on EC Comics. Wow. I mean, okay. you know, these are these are really uh, amazing people. And of course, another one of your co-publishing mates, Don McLeod, who most people don't have a clue who he is, but everyone knows the American tourist or gorilla. And yeah. the gorilla tales are Oh my God, I told him the other day, when I grow up, I'm definitely not being you, dude. So, <laughs> I got to read his book. I gotta get, I gotta it's called Gorilla Tales. Well, you have juice with the publisher, so you could probably... You yeah, know. I think I know her. <laughs> All right, buddy, real quick. Um, what's your hell yell moment? What was your most proud moment in your career? Besides this, this doesn't count. Oh, besides this moment? Yeah. <laughs> the next moment. Oh, the next yeah. That's the one you know the next moment do you have a moment that stood out that you're like okay this is yeah all right. i i do have a moment that made me realize that maybe i'm not just kind of you know messing around is when one of my artists tony tenniel okay uh we Love did a little, will keep us together there you go uh i decided to ask her if she wanted to do a um, an arrangement, a large ensemble arrangement of classic material. Wow. And uh, we did 22 songs in 11 hours. Ooh. She was wow. an amazing group of people. And afterwards, she, she started to cry. And she said, well, at least I can be proud of something. Nice. All right, buddy. So, what a great note to end on there. Yeah. She's All right, singer. Jeff Weber. Oh, Thank you, buddy. Let's Stevie do that big book me. signing. We're doing it, bro. You're on it. And I guess we have to get tons. <laughs> We're gonna have to get tons of your books there too, because I know people will come out and just. All right, tell them know. where they can find you, Jeff. 
They can find me. Well, they can email me at uh, at home Jeffrey phone number, Weber Jeff. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody wants that. Jeffrey Weber at me.com. J-E-F-F-R-E-Y-W-E-B-E-R at me, M-E.com. All Thank you, you aspiring singers and songwriters, hit them up. Flood them. That's right. That way we can uh, make great stuff together. That's and then right. we get to come back on Stevie's show and do it all again. And have another, yeah, another hell yeah moment. All right, buddy. So much talent. Thank you, my friend, for stopping in. Grab Always your moonshine over there in the bottle. Thanks. Cheers, Jeff. <laughs> Thank you, bro. All right, buddy. Thanks for stopping by. All right. Talk See soon. Bye-bye. All right, y'all. We dropped some knowledge tonight. That's some amazing talent. Uh, 420. So if you want to learn about my legendary uncle, Uncle Ricky, blaze on right there. Trans Am Diaries. I got a new book coming out. We'll get to that. But thank you, Judy Sketch Lewinson. Another great show. What a good time in the double Always tonight. a pleasure. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. Learned lots. Laughed lots. Lots of talent in the room. Mm -hmm. If we said talent one more time, I'm going to be the one passing out. Oh, talent, talent, talent. <laughs> so much talent. All right, y'all. We are every Wednesday night, 6 p.m. Pacific time. If there's a top 10 list you want us to do or guest, if we can get to them, stalk them, whatever we got to do, we'll try to do that for you. But tell your friends. And Judy, tell them where they can find us on YouTube. On YouTube, you can go to my channel. It's at I am Judy Liu. That's I A M J U D I L E W. Or you can just search Come On Get Happy Hour with Stevie D, and you'll find it there as well. And, and on Facebook, on Stevie? Facebook, uh, Stevie D and his so called friends. Got a lot of famous friends that don't claim me, but we're over there too. So please watch us every Wednesday night, y'all. Hope you enjoyed it. Come on, y'all. Get happy. Thank you, Sketch. Take us out with something funky. Yeah. Let's hit the music.
This is a Vangrio production.